We're on our way through Galatians, and Galatians is quintessential gospel territory. It's just been amazing. I have been refreshed week after week, um, reading through Galatians, studying through it, preaching through it. And every time I get the chance to preach, thankfully, I get to soak in a passage for a week and then, and then hopefully present some of what I've gotten out of it. And I, I trust that happens this morning as well. The gospel is good news for people who are not, who, who are not so good. Um, and, and I need that kind of news. Um, the gospel is a message of God's deliverance through Jesus Christ for people who cannot deliver themselves. The gospel is a message of God's love that is totally undeserved. And actually, even more than that is contrary to what we deserve. And it comes freely through Jesus Christ. Martin Luther once said, man needs Jesus Christ alone. Man needs Jesus Christ alone. Well, today, I want, to, I want us to wade into some deep and wonderful waters with Jesus. And we're going to talk about what theologians call union with Christ. Uh, we just finished up with in Christ alone. And if I had picked a worship lineup, that's how we would have ended today. And so I appreciate that, Luke. I'm sure we were in sync somewhere in the spirit. And I appreciate that. Um, because being united to Jesus is being in Christ. It is being in Jesus Christ. And the text this morning, out of Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29, that's what this passage is all about. And it is a vast ocean of massive blessing for those who know it and believe it and walk in it. And Paul would even say, and don't let anyone say it's not for you or that you don't have it in Christ. John Murray was a 20th century theologian. He said, union with Christ is really the central truth in the whole doctrine of salvation. The central truth. And yet I'm wondering if some of us here are like, what is union with Christ? I'm not sure I've heard of that. It is such a massive and glorious blessing. The way Paul communicates this truth is kind of strange. He uses words like in Christ or in Christ Jesus. Now, you and I would never say we are in George Washington, right? Even though he is the first president of the United States. That'd be a strange thing to say. But this is something Paul cannot stop talking about. When you read through Paul's letters, and my Bible takes up about 70 pages, he says in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in him about 160 times. Now, my, again, my Bible, that's 70 pages. You start thinking, this must be his main message. And it is. That Paul saw fundamentally Christians as a man or woman in Christ. In Jesus Christ. Union with Christ or being in Christ changes everything. Now, I realize that sounds like a big claim and so we probably need to think about what does it even mean to be in Christ? The New Testament gives us lots of metaphors for what it means to be in Christ. It gives us the metaphor of vine and branch. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. Abide in me. Jesus, we also see there is a, the metaphor of head and body, that we are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are connected to him. 
right? We get all of our instructions from him, our direction from him, our life from him. And the Bible also gives a metaphor of marriage. Martin Luther picks up on this language of marriage in connection with union in Christ. And it's his, the way he explains this is so amazing. Listen to what Martin Luther says. He says, faith unites the soul to Christ as a bride is united to her bridegroom. From such a marriage, Paul says, it follows that Christ and the soul become one body so that they hold all things in common, whether for better or worse. This means that what Christ possesses belongs to the believing soul. And what the soul possesses belongs to Christ. Thus, Christ possesses all good things and holiness. These now belong to the soul. The soul possesses lots of vices and sin. These now belong to Christ. He says, now, is this not a happy business? Isn't this happy business? All that Christ has is for us, and all that is ours is his. He goes on to say, Christ, the the rich, noble, and holy bridegroom, takes in marriage this poor, contemptible, and sinful little prostitute, takes away all her evil, and bestows on her all of his goodness. It is no longer possible for sin to overwhelm her, for she is now found in Christ. Found in Christ. Well, we have been learning in Galatians that we receive God's blessing by faith alone. The key word is alone. It's not faith and works. It's not faith and climbing the ladder of mysticism. It is faith alone in Christ, in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to ask you, do you believe in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ on your behalf? And if you do, then I welcome you to listen to all the rest that I have to say as though you are fully included because you are. You are fully included. You can claim all of these things as your own. You don't need to go home and think about it. You don't need to pray about it. You can claim them as your own right now. And if you're unsure that you believe, I pray that even now or this morning you will. Union with Christ is not a truth meant simply to enlarge our heads with lofty but kind of impractical thoughts, quite frankly. That's not what it's for. Back to the marriage metaphor. It is as though Jesus, when we believe, he looks into our eyes and he says, all that I have and all that I am, I give to you. And we say in return to him, all that I have and all that I am, I give to you. Hopefully, you see, this has massive implications for our day-to-day living. We must never see the Christian life as like this funnel. And we enter, on the wide, we enter at the wide point, and it gets more narrow and restricted as we go along. That doesn't sound like good news, does it? That sounds like the opposite of good news. No, when we come to, to faith in Christ, we go from glory to glory, the Bible says. We are made more and more like Jesus. It doesn't say we might be. It says that we are. 
We are being more beautified in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, we begin this process where our hearts are enlarged and our capacities are expanded because union with Christ is to share in the very life of Jesus Christ. So I want to I explore three, three things from this text. Three things I want you to see. Three ways that we now share in Christ together. And you can receive these as they're spoken. First is we have a new identity. A new identity. Second is we have a new, we belong to a new community. And third, we look forward to a brand new future. So first, we have a new identity. We have a new identity, and this identity is found in Christ. It's not found anywhere else. It's found in Christ alone. All the other ways we seek to define ourselves are way down the road. We even, even, even good ways we define ourselves as a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife, we, our main identity is found in Christ. The identity that we have in Christ is so central to the Christian understanding, Christian's understanding, your understanding and my understanding of who we are and our life now before God. In fact, when we seek our identity any place outside of Christ, we make a mess of things. We, we just do. Um, Michael Reeves is a, he's a, uh, he's a pastor minister from the UK. He said this, when Christians define themselves by, in, by something other than Christ, they poison the air all around. When they crave power and popularity and they get it, they become pompous, patronizing, or bullies. When they don't get it, they become bitter or apathetic. Whether flushed by success or burnt by the lack of it, both have cared too much for the wrong thing. Defining themselves by something other than Christ, they become like something other than Christ. Namely, they become ugly. Jesus is the desire of all the nations. He is glorious and beautiful. And when we find our identity in him, we find ourselves looking more and more like him. Our identity in Christ is not in anything else. And so we want to define ourselves in this way. We want to align ourselves with God and what he says about us. And what does Paul say our new identity is in Christ? It's found in verse 26. Here's what Paul says. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons through faith. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons through faith. Now, in a few moments, I, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be called sons specifically, and not sons and daughters or just children generally. Paul says sons. You are all sons. But first, I want to dig just a little deeper into uh, seeing the alternative. If we're not sons, then we're something else. And Paul tells us in verses 23 to 25, Paul says here that the law serves two purposes in our life. It serves the purpose of being a prison warden, right? That keeps us imprisoned. 
And it serves the purpose of being a guardian or tutor, which is what we talked about last week, to lead us to Jesus. But the point is clear. The product of human effort, us trying to attain to something, can never get the blessing from God. In a million years of climbing that ladder, we cannot attain the blessing. The product of human effort can never earn adoption into God's family. It must be a gift. It must be a sheer gift of God's grace where God says, I love you. You are mine now and forever, and no one can do anything about it. Not even you. The blessing of adoption is given as a gift in Christ to be received by faith. Your own efforts, your own doings can make you a slave, but it can never make you a son. Sonship is given as a gift. We have several kids adopted here in this church, and I love that so much. What a picture especially these little babies who were taken almost as soon as they were born and brought into the Rye family or the Wagner family and taken care of. That child didn't choose to be adopted. The parents chose them. They chose to adopt those children. That's what God has done for us. And when this truth washes over us, like a tidal wave of glorious grace, we, we really enter into a new world of blessing, into a new world of unspeakably wonderful blessing in Christ. So it's very important we understand, why does Paul say you are all sons? Some newer translations might say sons and daughters. Some might say children. But Paul is specific. He says you are all sons. Why does he say that? Why not sons and daughters? And guys, it's not a sexist thing. It isn't, okay? It really isn't. The reason Paul draws us all specifically into sonship is because by virtue of being in Christ, Jesus Christ actually shares his status of sonship with us. He shares it with us. He brings us into this new reality of being a son just like him. I think we see, um, I think we see this when we look at the connection between verses 26 and 27. You know, read through the Bible, especially, especially like the epistles. The authors are arguing with us. They're making points. They want us to see. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to make a point to us, and we have to follow their argument. Here's what Paul says. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. The New American Standard Bible says, as many as, as were baptized, you have been clothed with Christ. You have put on new clothes. And part of that clothing is sonship, the sonship of Jesus himself, so that we share in the life of Jesus before the Father. 
I think we even have a hard time fathoming if this, fathoming if this can be certain or not. But Paul wants us to know, no, we are given this privilege of being sons. So men, let's face it. We need to get used, used to being called the bride of Christ. Okay? And women, you need to get used to being called sons. We both have a little bit of awkwardness with this, right? That's all right, though. We do not want to get rid of these precious truths for anything, not for political correctness or modernity or anything like that. We want to hold on to these glorious and precious truths. Because we are in Christ, we have the very status of the eternal Son of God before the Father this very second, whether you feel it or not. You believe that? It's by faith, not feeling. Even more, it gets better. Even more, we are given the very relationship that Jesus has always enjoyed for all eternity with the Father, which is why Jesus in his prayer in John 17 can say something as audacious as this. You have loved them even as you have loved me. That, you guys, is stunning. That is amazing. What freedom we have as sons, as children of this gracious God. If you will have it, this will be your new identity. As a beloved child of God, the very status of the eternal Son of God himself with all of your imperfections, blemishes, and sins, even now. See, I love this truth because it's not the fictional version of Josh that's a son. It's the real Josh. It's not the, um, it's not the pretend Josh. It's the real Josh who's weak and sins and has imperfections and lots of blemishes. Ask my kids and my wife. They'll tell you. It is that Josh that is offered this sonship in Christ. And it's offered to you too. Not the fictional version the real you, right now. In spite of our sins, we are called sons based on the it is finished of Christ alone. Based on the finished work of Jesus alone. You add anything to it, you ruin it. You ruin it. It's based on Christ alone. I need this. I need, I need a father like this. Because I have a bad tendency to go back and rest on my performance and bring that to God as my report card. And if I think I'm doing good, then I tend to 
be kind of puffed up and say, God, look how good I am with my A, which is probably really an F. And if I'm not doing good, then I come with, I know there's a big fat red F on there, and I, and I probably walk away from God and don't draw near to him. But sonship can never be earned or based on human effort. It cannot be. It is a free gift to be received by faith, and I need to preach this to myself every single day. So if you'll have this, it will now define you. You can have it today. It's offered to you today. It's offered freely through Christ to be received by faith alone. You will not be defined as ugly or attractive anymore, as successful or a failure, as single or married, as smart or average, as a musician or an athlete, as a businessman or an academic, as rich or poor, black or white, Republican or Democrat, extrovert or introvert, or anything else. All that stuff is garbage compared to this. It's nothing to being a son in Christ. You will be defined as a beloved child of God, the very apple of God's eye. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about us. Oh my goodness. What a frightening thought if it, if it all depended on me. Oh my goodness. Oh, he knows everything about us. And he looks at us with burning affection and says on the basis of being in Christ, he says, you are my beloved child and I am pleased with you because of Christ. You guys, he loves us and there isn't anything we can do about it. I was reading through the Psalms and um, I have a, a friend I've been reaching out to recently who has struggled with uh, a pretty severe sin for quite some time. And it began to, he began to identify with it. Like it, it was part of his defining identity. And I sent him a, t- uh, a text the other day. I was reading in the Psalms and there's, David says this, you, O Lord, will not restrain your mercy from me. And I said to him, I said, God loves you and you can do nothing about it. He will not restrain his mercy from you. Precious truth. This is now our new shared identity in Christ. We are sons together. We are children together. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ. But we also belong to a new community. 
Not only do we have a new identity, we, ha- we belong to a new community now. Verse 28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ, in Christ. You are all one in Christ. The union, this union in Christ that we share actually creates community. It actually creates a brand new community. It creates a a brand new city of God, if you will. And we get to be part of it as sons together, sons and daughters using that just anyways, children of God together, sharing in this community, this life. This is a bond of unity that cannot be forged by human effort. It is a sharing together in the life of Christ in community together. You know what this means? Everyone who is in Christ belongs. They all belong. There's not anyone who is in Christ who does not belong to this community. And anything, any way of communicating to people in that manner is antichrist. Everyone who is in Christ belongs to this community. What a glorious thing. By faith in Jesus alone. We all want to belong. We all want to belong. We all want to be part of a group, part of a community. And in Christ, we are. And we see, we've seen throughout the book of Galatians that Paul is adamant. It is by faith alone, without performance, that we are accepted by God. He has given us his very righteousness in Christ. God has removed all the barriers between us and him, and he has removed all the artificial barriers of hostility that keep us from one another. We, tr- we try to build them up. We, we do. We try to build them up. But Christ has removed them. He has leveled them. It is so important that we, as men and women in Christ, major on the gospel and not secondary matters. If our community, the unity of our community is in Christ and we get off of Christ onto other things, we wreak havoc on community. We want to major on the gospel. So important we understand what Paul is not saying in verse 28. I think it's very noteworthy. We have to talk about this. Paul is not saying that these distinctions of Jew and Greek, slave-free, male-female. He's not saying that they've been totally obliterated, right? For example, male and female. Our culture would like us to think that, that you can wake up a male one day and be a female the next day just because you feel like it. That's not what Paul is saying. But we, we know that there are distinctions between men and women. What Paul wants to make explicitly clear is that in terms of privilege, maleness and femaleness count for nothing. 
in terms of being included or excluded, being in or out, on the ins or on the outs. Maleness and femaleness counts for nothing. Slave and free doesn't, doesn't matter. That doesn't matter one bit. Being a Jew or a Greek, being black or white, any of these distinctions, they don't matter one bit because we have this unity in Christ. In Christ. Ethnicity and race counts for nothing. Social status counts for nothing. We are all one in Christ. And so, you are included. When people come here to Real Life Church, I want there to be this enormous, I mean, maybe even writing on the wall, but I don't think we'll do that. But in the spirit, right, okay, just like people come in and just this enormous, come, you are welcome. You are welcome. We are in this together. We are a community. You are part of the new community of God. And there, guys, there is no disadvantaged neighborhood in this community. We are all very privileged in Christ. Now, it's, our unity, though, is not like a fruit smoothie. Well, what? Where's he going with this? It's more like, okay, it's more like my wife's chicken tortilla soup. Okay? Fruit smoothie, you know what that is, right? We got a Vitamix at home. Like, it can, it can grind rocks, I think. I mean, you get your, the Vitamix out, you throw in some fruit, a bunch of different fruits, and if you're really a stud, you throw in some veggies too. And you blend it all up, and what you get is like this green blur. With my wife's chicken tortilla soup, you got the broth, you add in the chunks of chicken, put in the veggies, put in the herbs. This is what I do anyways. I like to add avocados and cheese and crushed chips in it. You have all these ingredients. You see them, right? You taste the distinct flavors. Oh my goodness, cilantro in that soup is so good. Okay, but I digress. Um, You see all of it but it makes one whole dish. We are one in that way in Christ. Here at Real Life Church, we have the privilege of showing our divided, angry, hostile world what God's new world is going to look like forever. And it will look like perfect unity, perfect harmony in Christ. So will we divide over maybe important but secondary issues? I sure hope not. We won't. Not here. I have faith we won't, right? If we will seek to keep Christ explicitly at the center, not push him to the side, to the peripheral, you know, he's over there. We know he's really important. He's super important, but he's kind of over there. But we keep him explicitly at the center and refuse to get off into politics or hobby doctrines or some strange end times theory. We're we're not going to go there. We're going to keep Christ at the center then we will stand out in a world breaking apart at the seams.
So the essence of our community is this, in Christ, we are all one. We are all one in Christ. Finally, not only do we have a new identity, which, which is sons of God through, through faith in Jesus, not only do we belong to a new community, but we share, guys, in a brand new future. We share in a glorious future. Verse 29, Paul says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, if you belong to Jesus, if you are in Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring. Now, it's really interesting. and I'm not going to dig into this, but last week's passage said, There's only one offspring, and it's Jesus. And this is saying, we're part of Abraham's offspring because we're in Christ. There's only one inheritance, and Jesus has fully earned it for us. You guys, today might look pretty bleak. The next five years might look bleak. The, fut- the foreseeable future in this life might look hard, but your future is eternally bright in Jesus Christ. Paul believed that. That's why people like Paul and Peter, they turn the world upside down while they're in prison, right? The, in- the entire inheritance that Jesus has earned is for us because we are in him. So we are heirs of it all. And get this, it's going to take eternity to enjoy it. It's going to take eternity. There's a Psalm 147, I believe. Now maybe it's, I can't remember, it's 140s. Every verse, over and over again, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting. Why is it everlasting? It will take eternity for God to lavish his love upon us in all riches and wisdom and glory. You haven't seen nothing yet. Whatever blessing we experience in this life, however great, and, and there are great blessings. I mean, the, the presence and person of the Spirit and relationships and the wonder, even in this life, of, of experiencing God as our Father. It is precious and beautiful, but however great they are, they're only foretastes. They're only like a down payment. Right? It's like when you buy a house, you've got to come up with 20% for your down payment. You still got the other 80%. God gives us a down payment in this life of our full inheritance in Christ. Listen to how Paul speaks of our future as heirs. In Romans 8, 17, Paul says, And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Titus 3, verse 7, Paul says, we are heirs 
according to the hope of eternal life. Can I bear my soul with you? I am way too temporal-minded. I just, I think about this week, I think about the next year. I do not think nearly enough about eternity. There there was a, a Puritan named Richard Baxter. He wrote a book called The Saints Everlasting Rest in the 1600s. One of his most popular books. He wrote many books. And he said, the saint, if he is going to be prepared to enter that eternal rest, must give himself to think on eternity and heaven. He said for an hour a day. It's like, oh my goodness. I, I may I'll start with 10 minutes, not 10 hours, 10 minutes a day, okay? And work up from there. Now, someone here might say, you don't understand. I have completely bungled my life. I have no future. You might say, you know, my future just looks, it, it, all I see are gray clouds. That's it. If you are in Christ... I assure you, your future is glorious. If you are in Christ, I assure you that the clouds are going to break, right? The clouds are going to break. Proverbs says, the steps of the righteous go in the direction of the full shining of the sun. That's where you're headed. The sun shining fully upon you and with its refulgent glory in Christ. Think with me just for a moment. I, I was thinking about an analogy here. Let's say um, adults, <clears throat> kids, I got one for you too, okay? Let's say you, three days from now, you have a three-month, all-expense-paid, first-class vacation around the globe. And you're going to visit every spot you've ever dreamed of visiting. But tomorrow, you need to have a wisdom tooth pulled. Is your, when you look out over the next three months, is it bright? You bet it is. Tomorrow's going to be a pain. But you know what? You're going to get through it. And then paradise. And then paradise. Kids, just put Disney World in there or something. I don't know. Get the tooth pulled. Kind of hurts. A couple days of recovery. Paradise. Paul says, the difficulties of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. If that's true, now Paul suffered tremendously. If that's true, then I need to think about that a lot more. Our future is better than a trip around the globe, first class, all expense paid. Way better because we are in Christ 
we stand to inherit every single promise God ever made because we're in Christ. Not because we fought tooth and nail to get it, because we are in Christ. Second Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God, you know how it finishes? They all find their yes in Christ. Every promise, all the promises of God, they all find their enormous, gigantic, emboldened yes in Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, they are for you. Your future is bright in Christ. We are a people of destiny. I know that word's thrown around a lot, but we are a people of destiny, no doubt about it. Why? Is it because of us? Is it because we and ourselves are worthy of it? It's not. It's because we are in Christ that we are people of destiny. And it couldn't be better in Christ. There's only one inheritance, and Jesus earned it all for us all. Your future is as bright as Christ's future is bright, because your future is in him. It's not outside of him. Don't think of your your eternal destiny as somehow like next to Jesus, maybe a little bit behind him. It is in him. And so your future eternally is as bright as the future of Jesus himself. Isn't that amazing? It's so glorious. We have so much to be happy about. Even when we cry. I I found it interesting as I was thinking about this passage. Um, Friday. There's not one command in this passage. Not one. It doesn't tell us to do anything. It just says this was true and now this is true. You were imprisoned, you were under a guardian, now this is your reality. Isn't that amazing? Through faith in Jesus, through faith alone in Christ. So there's there's no command here. And yet I, I do think there's some obvious implications. And I just wanna wanna name three. Three massive implications, if these things are true. If they're not, throw it out. If they're true, and I think they are, these are three big implications for us. Christ is now our identity because in him we are all sons of God through faith. So, therefore, imitate your father as a beloved child of God. That's, that's Ephesians 5.1. Be an imitator of your father as his beloved child. Imitate him. If you're a son, if you are a beloved son, that the father smiles down at you and says, I love you. I love you right now. The real you. It empowers us to imitate him. <clears throat> not when we get our act together, not when we get all of our ducks in a row, but this very moment, it liberates us. It fuels us. Grace 
fuels us to live a life of obedience to Christ. Second implication. Christ is our unity because it is in Christ that we are all one. So you are in, and therefore, you are part of the group with Jesus. You're part of the in crowd, okay? Because you're in Christ. Not because you're cool, right? Because you're in Christ. So, work to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work to maintain this unity, this oneness that we have that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Third implication. Christ is our future. Our future is bright because it's in Christ. We have a new future full of glorious destiny. Our destiny is in Christ, and we are Abraham's offspring. We are heirs of the promise, heirs of all the promises. And so, would you fill your mind with these things? As you go through your day, and you battle difficulties and hardships and victories, don't set your hope on them. When you go through challenges, don't despair because of them. Remind yourself that in Christ, your future could not be brighter. And then live with an invincible hope in him. Let's pray.